Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking ears? What the fuckaholics? What's happening? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF, the podcast. Yes, Keith Richards. Keith Richards is on the show. He's got a new album out, Cross-Eyed Heart, which is out now. It's, it's a sweet record. It's Closer to Talk is Cheap, which was a great solo record. There's a documentary, Keith Richards, Under the Influence. It's now on Netflix at Everyone's Loving. I got to watch it. But I talked to him. I talked to Keith Richards. Okay, am I going to keep it together just even to do this intro? Oh, my God. This is a pretty big day. Might be the biggest day ever. I don't know. It was a pretty insane day for me when this episode was recorded. I can tell you that. Okay? I mean, I know some of you know that Keith Richards looms large in my psyche and in my heart, people. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Yeah, I know that there's people in my generation, maybe the generation before me and the one before that and the one after me, that that Keith is just the guy. All right, there was he was just the guy. I mean, I mean there were those of us who idolized and still do just that 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 outlaw rock and roll image that he created and 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 remains. I mean, I I don't even know if I can explain it, but there was just something about Keith. And 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 those who get it get it. I mean, Keith was just like the the personification of fuck you and there was something about that with a guitar he was just a big fuck you with a guitar and i you know i was compelled man i don't even know when it first happened to me i mean i knew the stones but there's a in my mind there's a an issue of guitar player magazine with him it's not even a particular good picture with his eyes half closed with that fucking telecaster that TV yellow telecaster, just leaning into it. And I was like, God damn it, that's it. That's all of it. That's all you need is whatever's going on right there. That's all you need. And it wasn't even about necessarily, <laughs> it wasn't even about like it, 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 being in a band or anything. I, it was just something about Keith and about drugs and about fuck you and about style and about all of that i mean i just i don't you know i'm look i'm i'm fortunate that i didn't pursue the the exact life he he represented you, you know what i mean i mean not not so deeply that i died for it or got strung out i'm, I'm also fortunate that i didn't pursue a life in music 
And I only say that because I just wasn't cut out for it. I was not that good a player. I wasn't that confident necessarily, which I, I learned now is really all you need. I mean, but, you know, being in a rock band was just not the direction that my ego was dragging me at that time. And also, I think it would have diminished it. My love and worship for fucking Keith Richards. The coolest guy in the fucking world. And I know that may sound hacking to some of you kids <laughs> as I condescend to you. I know even using the, the term rock and roll may sound dated and weird, but Keith Richards was the original thing. Mark Lehner, uh, the writer, once I think he was in an article for Spin. I couldn't find it because I was looking for it. It said that Keith Richards moving across the stage was like the EKG of rock and roll. And I, and I thought that was just fucking beautiful i actually wrote to him to find out exactly what he said but he had no recollection of it but it's a weird thing with keith because my relationship with him is ongoing because my love of 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 a particular type of rock and roll came directly from chuck berry somehow through my father and through listening to the american graffiti soundtrack and my father's love of oldies i was just captivated by chuck berry and by that original riff you know the riff and then, like, years go by where I'm just, I'm loving Keith. I love the Midnight Rambler song more than anything in the world. And I don't even understand, you, you know, what makes Keith the amazing guitar player that he is. And over the years, you know, to understand Keith's rhythm and to understand, you know, why he's amazing. You, you know, because he's not like other, other guitar players. He's fucking Keith Richards. But the way he lays back and the way he nails a chord and the way that he decides what the rhythm is for a song and where it's at, I mean, it's fucking you know it's he's fucking keith man and i know some of you heard like i could barely keep my shit together when i did that 10 minute interview with him and some of you know that i read his book like it was a bible that i could believe in and i was blown away by his book because for years you, you know you just sort of keep keith tucked away in your mind as this amazing you know dope fiend survivor you know this 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 icon that represents the the sort of like dark heart of of rock music in some way, and then you read that book and you're like, holy shit, he's uh, one of the great uh, you know intelligent bullshit spinners of our time. There's a lot of hard truth, a lot of fact, a lot of history, but the dude can tell a story. And it, to me, that was just like this only makes it better. This only makes Keith bigger, looming larger in my mind in different ways. And I guess it's just a big fucking, uh, you know, love note to Keith Richards. But I was offered the opportunity to interview him. Now, you know, the Obama interview was uh, intense and and huge and uh, an amazing event and an amazing interview. But um, I thought that, you know, I, I pulled, you know, I got my shit together. I knew what I was going to talk to the president about. You know, I prepared. I stayed focused. Uh, I think you could you know, hear my nervousness was tangible in the first five or six minutes, but I think I eased into it. And, you know, within a very short time, I was calling him man and finishing his sentences for him. That's the leader of the free world. Could I keep my shit together with Keith Richards? Did I prepare? So my interview with Keith was to take place in New York City. It was to take place at the NPR building in an NPR studio because Keith was coming down from Connecticut to record Morning Edition. So we got to, the publicist, Fran, who was amazing, set us up to use the NPR studio after he did Morning Edition for an hour. And, uh, you know, Brendan McDonald, my producer, business partner, who you met on the episode after Obama, 
Uh, I mean, you've met him before if you've been around a long time with the show. You know, we go down there to NPR and we get there on time and we're informed. We sit down in a conference room with Fran and, and another person from her, her organization, the Publicity House. And uh, we're told that Keith is stuck in traffic coming down. He's running a bit late, probably an hour late. He got stuck behind a funeral procession. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even fucking kidding. So we talked to Fran for a little while, and this uh, we were in a conference room where they were gonna, you know, meet Keith, and then he's gonna do morning edition, and then he was gonna regroup in there. And I noticed, you know, on the counter there was a small case of uh, vodka miniatures and a two six packs of, uh, I believe it was sun kissed orange soda. So I'm like, that's the new fuel. Hey, I'm putting shit together. And so Brendan and I go, and we go to Bryant Park, and you know we have something to eat, and then we come back, and we're waiting, and Keith's about to show up, we were told, and I don't even want to see him. I don't want to see him. I don't want to have eye contact with him. I don't want to, I, I don't, I can't handle it, man. I can't handle it. So Keith shows up. I hide in an office. He goes into the studio to do morning edition. And at some point, I'm, I'm talking to Brendan. I'm like, this is fucking crazy, dude. We're at NPR, you know, we're, what, it doesn't matter. I'm about to, I'm going to interview Keith Richards for, it's just crazy, man. And I was, I was trying to keep it together, but this was sort of a big deal when somebody is your childhood hero. It's like, uh, you know, some of you, you got all excited when so-and-so signed your baseball. Yeah, I mean, come on, waiting to meet Keith Richards, the guy that I think defined a lot of my personality for a lot of years. Like I said, not, you know, I'm lucky I lived. And I'm lucky that there was some part of me that didn't let me drift into complete pseudo-Keith Richardness. There was always some part of me, some part of my mind or my heart that would throw me a line when I got too far out to drift and saved me from sort of living on the dark side. But, uh, but there we were, me and Brendan, waiting to talk to Keith Richards. He's in the studio at NPR, National Public Radio in New York City. And at some point, a woman comes up a bit, she comes out of a, a hallway a, a bit frantic saying, he's smoking in there. He's smoking a cigarette in there. And I was like, oh, that's so fucking beautiful. Keith Richards is smoking in an NPR studio of all places. Oh, fucking the human fuck you lives on. And the beautiful thing was, is no one was going to fucking stop Keith Richards from smoking a cigarette. No fucking way. So, I'm waiting and we're just waiting and then I hear that he's finishing up and then I go hide in this office because I do not want to see him. I do not want to meet him. I don't want to do anything. So then we're told that he's going to regroup. He's going to go into the conference room and uh, reload, whatever. So I go into the studio and it smells like cigarettes. There's an ashtray there. There's a pitcher of water. I've got my little tube of nicotine lozenges and I'm sitting in there and I got my little scribble sheet and I'm waiting for Keith and uh, and I was just sitting there, and then I, there's commotion, and I see outside the outside the booth in the glass, Keith Richards walking in with a Captain America T-shirt on, and uh, <laughs> man, I don't know, dude. Like I stood up and I'm like, Keith, you know, and, oh boy. So, so I guess like, so we sat down. And I, I'd like to say that that you know, I kept it together. I'd like to say that the nervousness, the fanboy excitement, receded or 
or or I I got it together after a few minutes like I did with the president. But I I don't think I did. I I was very excited and beside myself. And you know we talked a lot about music. You know I've loved the Stones a long time, and you know I I'm, I'm sort of hung up. You know, like we talk about Bill Wyman, the original bassist. We talk about, you know, the whole arc of the career. You know, the history of the Stones is the history of modern rock and roll in a lot of ways. And I sat there with Keith. He came in. He walked in the studio trying to fucking recapture it in my head. It was amazing. He had a big uh, one of those sort of like keg party cups, like the red plastic cup filled to the brim with something iced and orange. And he was chipper and uh present and uh, a little loopy but it was uh, exactly it was i would have taken keith any way any way it happened but he was fun we had a good time and there's something that happened uh after we uh, hung out it was because we were doing pictures and uh and he put his arm around me and he gave me a hug and he said you're a fun one <laughs> I don't want what, but uh, you're a fun one. So I don't know if you knew that, folks. But uh, after this interview, whatever happened, Keith Richards declared me a fun one. So um, Rolling Stones fans, lapsed Rolling Stones fans, or people who are too young to appreciate the fans, uh, this is this is a a, a historical document of a, a fucking lifetime fan meeting his fucking hero. So, um, so enjoy this. All right. I, I did me and Keith rich. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts hey man nice to meet you wow let's do it okay they're on we're on. <laughs> I got my nicotine candies. You got yours? <laughs> oh, baby, yeah. Right <laughs> you got the real ones. Oh, I miss the Marlboro Reds. Yeah. I, I actually thought about uh, about smoking. I thought if there was a time to start again, it would be with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me just hold one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can just look at it if yeah. you like. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. What are we drinking this afternoon? Uh, nuclear waste. Oh, perfect. That's good. Yeah. You've adapted to it. No problem. 
I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured you'd drink nuclear waste. You have to, right? Just to keep going? Uh, just to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm dying to figure out whether I'm going to light this fucking cigarette. You know what's interesting? I, I don't Let's know if, see if you can hold out. Okay, I'll mm. try. I'll try. It's been about a decade, but I think I, I talked to you briefly on the phone. I don't know if you remember. Maybe I'd like to think you would remember. We talked. I told you that I started smoking because of you. I started drinking because of you. Oh, you're the one. I'm the one. <laughs> good one. That's good. But it was funny because I remember reading an interview with you, and, and, and they asked you what kind of cigarettes you smoke. And you said, well, Newport, sometimes Marlboro Reds. So I was about 14, and I went out and got a pack of both and just you know played it out, see what stuck. Yeah, I don't know where they got the Newports from. You never said it. You never tried <laughs> it. Marlboro Reds, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, well, whatever. I was, I was walking around with both in high school trying to figure out how to be Keith Richards. Oh man! Yeah, it was know. a rough. It was a rough few years. But yeah, I, made I, I was in school trying to figure out how to be Keith Richards too. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> you figured it out. Well, you you're like I interviewed the president a few weeks ago, and I'm actually a little more frazzled about this because you know presidents come and go, but uh, you know you're Keith Richards. You remain forever. Yeah, and that's the yeah. That's sort of one of the blessings. <laughs> <laughs> you're like royalty, man. Oh, I don't know about that. I've no crown. Yeah, are you um, sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do. I, I think you do. Well, this is like a, a. I'll get through the nerves in a minute, but it's a big deal to meet you because you're a big idol of mine. Now, do you? Oh. When you started playing, and you guys started to, you know, sort of come into your own, do you remember the first idol of yours that you met? Oh, um, Little Richard. Really? Yeah, and Bo Diddley. Really? Uh, yeah, because we suddenly we were thrown onto this tour. I mean, before that we'd been working clubs, you know. I mean, suddenly we had a record. And, uh, yeah. And we were thrown on this tour with Little Richard, Bo Diddley, and the Everly Brothers. Uh, and so I, I suddenly met, uh, you know, half of my uh, childhood mentors. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> All in one, and I'm working with them too, you know, which was uh, an amazing education. I mean, that's that's a university for me. You know. uh -huh. Did did you talk to Bo? Did you ask him questions? Yeah, was there I mean, we were on the road for like three or four weeks. You really? Know? Yeah, yeah. I used to take care of Jerome Green. Was his maracas player? Uh huh. And Jerome was a great lush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was my job to get him out of the pub, to get him on stage. <laughs> it's funny, I think those roles changed later in life. Yeah, you, yeah. You had a guy that... I mean, I was willingly uh, happy uh -huh. to do it. You know, I mean, was, Jerome was a loose cannon. And, uh, you know, somebody had to do it. Right. So uh, we ended up becoming great buddies and, and, and Bo. Little Richard was amazing to watch. Yeah. His stagecraft, uh, let alone his music. I mean, he had an English band with him, which they weren't bad. A pickup I mean, band? Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah. But they were they were pretty good. But I mean, I'd, I'd have wished he had his own band with him. Uh, but at the same time, man, the the, the way he would, uh, you never knew where he was going to appear from. Right, know? right, right. I mean, he'd let that band play uh, Lucille, let the riff. Right. For like five minutes, you know, nonstop. Right. In total darkness, you know. And then he'd turn up in the back of the 
back of the auditorium, you know, with the spotlight on him and, and walk through the crowd. Yeah, and then <laughs> walk through. And I did, wow, the way you can work a room, and you know, I'm learning, I'm learning things. Right. <laughs> you, but you almost been learning things. Just yeah, like, and the Everly Brothers, I mean, it's so meticulously beautiful. Those harmonies, right? Mm, wow. Yeah. And you were with him for like three weeks you did that tour? Yeah, yeah, 63. Yeah. So that was before England's newest hit makers, or around the same uh, time? Uh, it had just come out about the same time. Yeah. When was the last time you listened to that record? Um... <laughs> the odd track yeah. round again yeah. it's a weird thing because like I listened to that record a lot you know and I came to the Stones like much later because I mean I'm, tw I'm 51 yeah, so I was picking it up right but that record I played the shit out of that record to me that was you know the that was the the pure intention the birth of it all yeah in a way I guess it was it was for us anyway and uh and it was recorded in this little room uh, that uh that professed to call itself a studio yeah um and uh, it, the whole walls were covered in egg boxes that Love was it. called soundproofing right. first class <laughs> and, yeah, yeah top notch and uh it was a grundig two track but it was hung on the wall yeah instead of if it was on the table it would have looked like you know unpro but it's hung on the wall <laughs> <laughs> give it a professional feel yeah man, but yeah. we cut the whole damn thing on that you know and uh, it was uh, so i started on two track really right. basic yeah. did you do honest honest i do yeah Is that on that one yeah. can i get a witness can i get think a witness yeah yeah, yeah. tell me and, tell me yeah yeah and like that, you set out to be a blues band. Yeah. Right? That was the intention. Pure. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. And and at that time, you know who I talked to? I don't know if you guys are friends or not. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to Richard Thompson. And Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. I, not, we're not we're friends because I hardly ever see him, I don't know, but I know yeah, the man. Yeah, because yeah, like, I think he was a little younger, but he was talking about the scene in London at that time. There were so many bands, and you guys would all see each other late at night, like at restaurants, and, and see each other play all the time. And what was the scene you were involved in? It was all blues, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we were strictly, uh, at that time, at the beginning of the Stones, strictly... Uh, Blues. Our, you know, we were almost uh, Jesuits. <laughs> no, well, let's say a missionary. Uh -huh. uh, but no, our, our whole aim was to turn London on to like you know rhythm and blues on the blues. And right. That, that was uh, that was like the scope for the whole universe would be. Right. That you know, and to have three or four or five gigs a week, and. You know, uh, and that would be you know that's it. You know, who yeah. were, who were your guys early on? Where who were the the dudes that you were the most uh, you know, trying to emulate on the guitar? Like before Chuck, the straight up blues dudes. Right, uh, T Bone Walker. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, uh, Muddy Waters, suit right. for his simplicity, Buddy guy. Yeah. Um, Slim Harpo and, or is that and, later? And yeah, Slim Harpo. I mean, uh, Jimmy uh, Reed. I, I was yeah. Jimmy, we was hot on Jimmy Reed. Yeah, because we were not so much interested in being you know, a virtuoso. I mean, it was how those guys got that sound. Right, right. And to us, it was the thing of trying to get close to making that kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, and. We studied, man. <laughs> what you and Brian? We studied and starved. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what was Brian's thing? He was. A, what was he into most? Were you both Brian, in the same thing? Brian, very big into Jimmy Reed. Okay. Yeah. So very, that's where that came from. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Well, so Mick and I were also into it, but Brian had the records. Right, right. We didn't, you know, Mick had the Muddy Waters and and I had the Chuck Berry. Uh, Brian had uh, the Jimmy Reed. Okay, all right. So, I mean, there was an obvious collection, you know, and a connection. But Jimmy Reed stuff, I, I still think, is some of the most beautifully recorded stuff, and it's so simple. Yeah, he plays it. He does a weird thing right on the on the five. He on keep, the five he, string. He leaves he, that he, open. He, he, yeah, if the, you, if, because if you're playing an E, when he's playing the five chord, he lets the three chord, uh, the, the, the seventh note still hang right the he leaves the a yeah, open yeah, right uh, yeah he yeah, leaves he, it open <laughs> i learned that from god bobby goldsborough oh really yeah i mean uh, on he a, hit on you a that? bus he <laughs> hit me to that because he'd been on the road with jimmy reed so he he hits me to uh, you know the weird thing that makes that sound is like he does this yeah know? yeah he leaves the open a string going you know and and the, uh, Oh, no, man, I've been trying to get that for years. I would never have figured it. You know? oh, that's, it's funny how those moments happen. I mentioned they must have been a few of those moments like when you were putting together your chops where you're like, oh, fuck, that's how that goes. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, you, you keep looking, you know, how did, the, how did he pull that lick off? Right. You know, I mean, Even with Chuck, when you did that fucking movie with him? Yeah, man. Where you, <laughs> <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> we had the argument about the beginning of O'Carroll. Yeah, <laughs> that was touch and go, man. Well, that was that was uh, that was him testing me out, you know, and I, yeah. uh, and uh, and pushing. Chuck has all, always has to be numero uno, right? You know, like, you know yeah, I mean, yeah, right. after all, the movie's about Chuck. Yeah, know? right, I mean, right. I, you know, hey, to me, I'm living my childhood dream of being a second guitar behind Chuck Berry. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's you, you never knew what a pain in the ass that would be, I guess. No, no. <laughs> I tell you what, at the same time, yeah. he's a funny guy. I yeah. mean, it, it just, uh, what is it, mercurial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. One minute, he's like, uh, yeah. grouch, and then he'd like, piss off for uh, half an hour. Yeah. And he'd come back, and he'd be... Back on top. Uh, yeah, I know uh, what did he take a hit or something? <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, no, yeah, he's he was he was a great uh, mood changer, but incredible to work with. And I think my my best uh, uh, feat uh, out of that was when I said to Chuck Berry, that, uh, "Johnny Johnson's still around," because. Uh, Ian Stewart, who had just died that year, who was the Stones piano player. From the beginning. I mean, from the beginning. I mean, actually, I consider the Stones to be Ian's band. Really? Yeah, yeah. He put it together. Really? He he pulled us together. Without him, we wouldn't have coagulated. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and he only got pushed. He he stopped being in the in the main lineup because what 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 happened? Oh well, he he wasn't good looking enough, and there was like uh, they oh. thought six was too many. Okay, Stu having the largest heart in the world said, "Yeah, I understand that. That's uh. cool." But we I mean we recorded. It was still his band. For, for and his... he and he, he became our roadie, our manager, road manager, and everything. Take care of everything. So I think that Ian Stewart like, considered us his baby, uh-huh. and I consider him my dad. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. But so your relationship with Ian sort of made you reach out and find Johnny. Yeah, because the last thing that uh, Ian Stewart ever told me is, uh, and this was just before he died, yeah. he said, don't forget, Keith, 
that Johnny Johnson is alive and playing in St. Louis. Right? Ian said that to you. Yeah. Yeah. And within a year, I'm working with Chuck Berry. Yeah. And I'm saying, you know, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, well, without Johnny Johnson, it's, you know, it's never going to be the same. So I say to Chuck, hey, Chuck, you know, <laughs> Johnny around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Chuck comes with a very dead panther. Mm, yeah, he's, he's in town. Mm, mm, <laughs> I, any chance of uh, getting him together on this thing? I'll give him a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day there was Johnny, and then I realized I had... The band. The stuff. Yeah. And I realized I had the stuff that had actually made Chuck's records. and Sounds so good. And, yeah. And that he, that he literally learned how to play those licks from Johnny's piano playing. Yeah. That Johnny was first. Yeah, actually, yeah. And that, it's weird. When I watch that movie, because I've been a fan of yours my whole life, but I'm not sure I, I, I necessarily understood, you know, how complicated the rhythm of Chuck Berry is and how you deconstructed that to get your shit. Yeah, it's a variation on the name, but Chuck and I basically play the same. It's basically the role. Right. You know, it's syncopation. Right. It's, and for that, you need a drummer that you can totally rely on, you know. Yeah. And, and which is, unfortunately for Chuck, uh, once he'd used pickup bands for. Went like, away. Yeah, because he couldn't rely on the drummer, right. and they were just bands he'd never met, you know. Right. Which was unfortunate in that respect. Because uh, there's a bounce to but it. But I've no doubt Chuck walked out with the money. <laughs> <laughs> in a briefcase. Yeah. In a cow. Oh, I know that briefcase. <laughs> but that's it. That's a bounce. There's a bounce, right? It's a, it's a cut against the beat, you know. Right. But the drama has to be right on yeah. for you to be able to, like, chop the beat around and, and move it and make, right. it and make it roll. Yeah. That's the roll in the rock. You know? and that, right. And that's Charlie. Yeah, solid. I can, can I count on that man or what? You know, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I imagine you, you know, but yeah, I think what was it, Abco reissued a few uh, of the old ones. Yeah, they, they reissued uh, "Get Your Yayas Out," right? So yeah. I used I used to listen to that shit in you know in high school, right? And I put on the reissue, and I had this moment in my living room where I'm like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> Bill and Charlie are holding this whole thing together right now. <laughs> Yeah. Did, did you, did, hey, nothing like a good rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> like, until I heard that, that remaster and the way you guys were all fitting together, I was like, Jesus, man, that's so solid. But I don't know why. I think in the live situation, I think Mick even said something about it, that they were nailing it that night. Do you have, do you have memories of those nights in particular that you recorded? And you know, uh, when you're on stage... Yeah. Um, no, quite honestly, no, because I'm not thinking about we're being recorded yeah. or filmed, which is even worse, because people get aware of the cameras and they, yeah. they start to tighten up. <laughs> you know, no tightening up. I, I try and forget all about uh, the, uh, you know, what's going on around me. Yeah. Just do the gig. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you in uh, San Diego, I went. 
just now, the first night of the oh, tour. Yeah. It, it got you, better and better, too, and that was good. a good show. Man. It was a good show. It was a great show. I was nervous. I was nervous for you. I don't know what the hell. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I hadn't what been. To, I hadn't been to see you in a long time. I, I saw you guys in '81 at Madison Square Garden when uh, yeah, I guess it was probably the Tattoo You tour and Screaming yeah. Jay Hawkins opened for some reason. Oh yeah. yeah. I think James Brown was supposed to. And then something happened. I don't know what happened. But I don't know, probably didn't like Screaming Jay. Yeah, I don't know, but it was just weird. The Screaming Jay comes out with the voodoo stick. I don't even think he had a fucking band with him. And like everyone in Madison Square Garden was like, what's happening? And then you guys came out, and I just I didn't go see you because, like, I don't know, like, I, it was strange for me when Bill left. Was it strange for you? Absolutely. I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> I sent out the hitman. <laughs> Except I love him so much. Yeah. I, I can't go that far. Yeah. You know, I'll just break your legs. Yeah. Right. No, but yeah, no, it was a it was a hard call, man. Yeah. He'd what he tire out? Yeah. Uh he he's and it also he developed this fear of flying. Oh really? So he was like driving to every gig, which is like, you know, sometimes they were so <laughs> far but you know Right. And uh Eventually, he decided it was his decision. Yeah, yeah. To call it the day, and uh, I said, "You kidding me, man? You know, you, what are you going to do, right? You know, you, you were in the RAF in 1956, schlepping around in Germany, yeah." And no, he was he was adamant, and he and he he made his decision, and maybe it was right for him, right? You know, and all I can say is that, ooh. I get Daryl Jones. Yeah, yeah. He was great. It was great. It was the first time I'd seen uh, you guys in a long time. And like I said, I was nervous because I hadn't seen you in 35 years. And man, what a fucking... You sounded great. And I mean, it, there was moments there where, you know, there... We've improved over time. Yeah, yeah. You've gotten good. I think you're really tight right now. You're good right now. I'm, I'm going to take it up. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, uh, the, the, the experience of it was... Um, like when I, there was moments where, where where Mick was running, you know, running back and forth. Do you ever like, like at the point where you guys are at now, you know, I mean, we're mature gentlemen. You're a little more mature than me. Do you have moments where you're like, I hope he doesn't fall the fuck down? Oh, no, I never worry about, no, Mick is so nimble, man. And, uh, it's crazy. I, yeah. I mean, uh, Charlie is, uh, and I always watch Mick in case, it, if you, when you get out the, right, in right. the audience that you're not hearing the beat. Right, right. The same oh. as it actually right. is. But uh, we're actually experts. Right? He's he's crossed the beat. Okay. <laughs> and we can, we you can changed clear. the mix? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh we're funny. like a safety net under Mick. He doesn't realize it probably. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Charlie and I always say, well, he's not, you know, okay. Um, we got um, it. We got him. We can actually do that. Yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, what that's you... where the job of a band is to, like, support the, the front man. Yeah, know? yeah. And now, when you got, you because know, when we talked before, you talk a lot about the, the band and, and your band and, and the band. But I, I have to assume that when you guys started out you know at the beginning you, you were just a bunch of buddies right yeah yeah and yeah. it just evolved into this brought thing together by the music right yeah. who was the guy that you guys used to play with or play at his club when he started was it alex corner is that who it yeah was? alexis corner alexis corner yeah yeah that was the ealing club yeah and yeah. he was like a blues empresario yeah he he about he at the time probably had uh you know the blues uh, nailed down in London. Right, if yeah. you, you know, if you wanted to hear blues, you went. You had to see Alexis. He's the only guy playing it, basically. Right, you know? right. And, uh, 
he also he had Cyril Davis, who was a great harp player with him, and it, it, it was it, they were good. Alexis wasn't particularly, you know, that good. I remember Alexis uh, one night invited us Mick and me up to uh, do a number. Yeah, and. Uh, and Mick and I said, right, we're going to do roll over Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> Alexis, immediately, he had, used to use a thumb pick. You okay, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he cut his strings and said, oh, I'll leave it to you. And, and you just took it? Yeah, no, yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. want to play that rock and roll. Oh, really? But, so know, he's a real purist? Well, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm not, he appreciated rock and roll and everything, but, I mean, he knew that he couldn't... Uh, he yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't be a, an addition. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna bow out on this one. Well, the, on the new record, you know, I listened to uh, I listened to it like a, a, a couple of times. Uh, Cross-eyed hearts, the name of the record, right? Yeah. yeah. So the first song, like I noticed, like it, you're going way back for that. I mean, that's that's pre Jimmy Reed. That's, that's pre Muddy Waters. Robert that's, Johnson. That's Robert Johnson. Because I noticed, like it, it's, it's a tip of the hat to Robert Johnson. It's like Hellhounds on my trail, almost, man. It's like a, it's just a piece. Yeah. Like that you you can hear you breathing, you can hear you know every squeak of your fingers and every pick. You know it's very it, it's it's all very uh, raw and organic. And then you're just sort of like that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the riff. And no, it's not even. It's like a, it's almost like a blues meditation. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. I thought you know that, that would be you know, you know when, when we got all the tracks together. If we're gonna put that blues in. Might as well be the starter. And yeah. Then, and then, you know, it's like, you know, when people walk into movies, movies yeah. and they say, you know, the, the, the overture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, yeah there's sort of a subtle overture. Yeah, yeah. And then you bookended it with uh, Good Night Irene, another blues, different style, more of a folk blues, but the, on both sides, you got some, you got Lead, Lead, Lead Belly. Belly. Yeah, you got yeah. Lead Belly and Robert just holding it all in. Yeah. I wanted to do. Uh, you know, a couple of classic uh, American yeah. folk songs. Right. Know? And the weird thing that happened is that um, Tom Waits had sent me a big book on Lead Belly, and it had just arrived, and I just put it on the table. Yeah. And at the same time, a few hours later, in walks my guitar man, Pierre de Beauport. How long have you been with that guy? A million years, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. Uh, since uh, early nineties, yeah. ninety one, yeah, and, and, and that um, brilliant guitar. I mean, I, I'm lost without him. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he decides which guitar I'm going to play on songs. That's how, how much I trust him. And um, he walked in with this twelve string. So I'm looking at this book of Lead Belly. Yeah. You know, that Tom Waits has just sent me, and I'm looking at this twelve string, and I'm saying. <laughs> I have no choice. I've been ordered to right. do Good Night Irene. Yeah, know. yeah. It's pretty haunting music, some of his stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. Lead Belly was... Uh, deep. You know, you know, deep. And I found the original lyrics, you know, which are much... Uh, I know, I didn't know them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're much raunchier than... Right. Because then it became, you know, you'd get the black and white minstrel singing it. I mean... Right. And it became like a... An American folk song, maybe uh, no, I mean, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And People would waltz to it and stuff. No, but it was kind of a dirty song. The real show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So what? Like you got a guitar uh, guy, this guy Pierre, but like you, you're pretty committed to like a handful of guitars. Like there's four or five that you you play pretty much all the time. Yeah, pretty much. And when it comes down to work, yeah. And I was watching. I was trying to figure it out on stage because I, you know, I, I bought a Tele because of you way back when. Not a you know good one, but it, you know I, I had it. Yeah. I think you were on the cover of Guitar Player, but yeah, I think you had one that was uh, altered. I don't remember. It had a the the rhythm pickup was was regular, and then there was a humbucker, uh-huh. you know, on the on the lead pickup. We do screw around with them. <laughs> <laughs> we we do rewire them. Yeah, yeah. And we do play around with the pickups yeah. on them. Yeah. And you play that fifty four all the time. That that cream yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah. For yeah. years. Yes, yeah, boom, and bashing the hell out of it yeah. still, you know. What do you go into though? You like you, you know, you're not pedal guy now, are you? No pedals? No, no, just I, straight in. Hey, man, I mean, it's enough to stand up straight. Let <laughs> alone <laughs> <laughs> poking around on buttons. You know? So you just change the volume when you need yeah, to. Yeah, and no, and also they. I mean, any of those effects that I need actually can be done from behind. Pierre's if we need a little oh. tremolo. Yeah, yeah. We do it wrong because I need to know where to put my feet. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, tripping over those boxes. Yeah, and they, they, they just ties you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, what made you decide? Because when I talked to you before, you guys were maybe going to do Sticky Fingers. You're going to run all three, but that that died in one night, and the, the the recording of it sounded great. So, what made you the next night decide like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do it. Well, we I don't know, uh, um, maybe Mick's a better one to ask on that, but uh, it, no, he just thought, uh, and I think we all thought that, uh, you know, doing it the whole thing once was enough, and we were, yeah. that actually <laughs> was sweating our balls and getting through it, you know. <laughs> really? uh, well, you know, but hey, the whole album, you know. And sure. The, uh, the, the hardest one to play and, and one of the most beautiful ones is I Got the Blues right. uh, which is so slow Yeah, and it's very the, the hardest thing for a band is to keep a, tem- a slow tempo uh, yeah. down I mean everything tends to speed up so right. it has to be you know that Steve Gropper was great at yeah, that yeah, with yeah, Otis yeah. you know right and, um, yeah but uh and Al Jackson, the drummer, you know, with, uh, with in Memphis. But you guys didn't just you didn't want to drop into that. I also noticed. I, I think that there's a there's the you know the, to be the greatest rock and roll band and the biggest rock and roll show, you know you're gonna have, you know you got to be big. You know what I mean? You didn't you did Moonlight Mile, which was yeah. beautiful. He hit those fucking notes. That was crazy. Yeah, I yeah I enjoyed, I started to like playing that on the stage. At first, I thought. Uh, yeah, going out on a limb here, Mick. You know, yeah. it's a little sparse. You know. Yeah. But as we got into it, it was it was beautiful to play and uh, great fun, and they were loving it out there. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Otis, uh, yeah. I was thinking about like because you know he could lay back on that on that groove, but but it's I was thinking about what did you after you you know Satisfaction was a hit, and then he decided to cover it. That must have been a big fucking day. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a, you know, put another crown on, baby. You know? Yeah, right. I mean, for one of our songs to be covered by one of the greatest R and B singers of all time, it was uh, you know. I mean, you know, let's die and go to heaven. You know, I <laughs> mean, it. or wherever. I <laughs> know <laughs> 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 because that was basically the cream on the, right? on the whole thing. And then Aretha did it. And uh, you know, and then we were like in double heaven. Yeah. But um, 
No, it was great to get that respect and that uh, respond and reciprocation back from. Hey, after all, we play black music, right? You know, and we white as white can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and he found that groove though. Like you know, to make that a soul song was something, huh? Yeah, it was and amazing. It was, and it was just amazing that that. that these people that respected and admired so much would take do one of our songs. And know. then you played with on this record, on the new record, did you use Spooner Oldham, right? Spooner's there. Yeah, and he played yeah. with Aretha on some of the big hits, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Down in Muscle Shoals. So that must have been amazing to work with that guy. You'd worked with him before? No, first time I've ever met Spooner, although I've known him, I feel like I've known him for years because yeah. he's been on so many records. I was actually uh, Graham Parsons that first pointed out Spooner Oldham to me. Really? Uh, and that was in like 71. Or he, f he knew it. He, he, he oh, felt it. Graham knew country music and Spooner was basically a country music player at that time. And, um, uh huh. I didn't even know that he was still around and uh, on a couple of phone calls, Steve Jordan, bless his heart, the man I work with, and uh, you know who co-wrote these songs with me and produced it you know great they, drummer fantastic drummer. been Didn't playing it? with him a long time on your solo yeah, stuff yeah i was turned on uh, charlie watts said to me in the about 85 86 yeah. and we knew the stones were going to take a like a, a hiatus or a hibernation or whatever you want to call it but uh and uh, Charlie Watts said, uh, if you're going to work with anybody else, Steve Jordan's your man. Oh, yeah? yeah. And yeah. I took him at his word. I listened to Charlie assiduously. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and Steve and I started to work together. And not only we just sort of worked together, we fell into each other's arms, and uh, he was a great friend of mine. And, uh, That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to walk into a studio with a bunch of dudes you know and yeah. you know and trust, yeah. and we're, we're going to make something. Um, and so, you know, the winos came together, you know, Ivan Neville, man, you know, yeah, yeah, Waddy yeah. Wachtel, I can never Forever praise. you play with that guy. I love that guy. Long time, <laughs> right? Great player. Great. Yeah, it's simpatico. Yeah, mm. and and and, and uh, this was the last record that Bobby Keys played on. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm sorry you mm -hmm. lost your friend, man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, hey, Bobby is probably laughing his head off. <laughs> 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 and, but and, uh, we had no idea that was going to be his last recorded mm -hmm. uh, stuff when we did it. But um, no, Bobby. Hey, that's Mr. Rock and Roll, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, large as Texas, yeah. if not larger. Between the two of you, it's like yeah. you're, you're, you're both Mr. Rock and Roll. <laughs> he, he certainly lived the life. He certainly did. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Now, when, that, when, 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 when you lose somebody that you've been with a, a, around with that long, but you know, you, 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 I, I guess at some point you realize that you, you know we're all living on borrowed time, and he certainly didn't waste any, right? Right. No. They said, "I ain't got no time to lose, baby." <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> no. Before you met Graham, though, you were you were into country music, but do you think Parsons really kind of blew your mind on it, or what? It's just that I met Graham in in London. Uh, he was actually with the Birds at the time. They'd done that, Sweetheart of the, the rodeo. rodeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd stopped in London and did a couple of gigs. And then they were destined to go play South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I happened to uh, bump into Graham that night. I went to see the show and we, we got to talking after. And he said, uh, 
I'm getting this sort of feeling, you know, about South Africa, and I don't know, you know, I don't understand it. I don't know. So I explained to him, it's like it's like going to the south, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but even worse. Yeah. You know, this is like, you know, this isn't segregation. This is apartheid. Mm-hmm. And once he'd understood, he said, well, and he left the birds that day and stayed with me in London. And, oh, really? Like, he just let them go on their own? Yeah. On yeah. principle? Yeah. 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 That's fucking beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so we became very, very close friends. Uh, had a few cold turkeys together. <laughs> Sweated out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's sad, too. Yeah, that guy died so young. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. That's another one, you know. But you still do. Like, it's interesting. Like, this record, uh, you, you know, it's got all the stuff that you love on it. You know, you've got you've got your soul ballad. You know, you got your country music. I got the reggae. The reggae, yeah, the reggae was really good, man. <laughs> I, I was like, he's like doing reggae again, and it, but you love it. I've always loved it. I've lived in Jamaica for many years. Yeah, and, and, uh, you don't got that place anymore. Oh yeah, you still have it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, but you, it, well, at the time you you got it though, didn't you have to get it? Like you, you like you couldn't come home, right? <laughs> I burnt the passport actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I got someone sent me that box, that box set that you did with those guys in the cave or something. What what was that? The, oh, the wingless angels. Yeah, yeah, man, the the Rastafarian. That those the, recordings are crazy, man. Yeah, it's man. just like hours of like you know, I'm sort of like I'm like oh, there's Keith. I can I can hear a little Keith there, you know. I was just backing up. You're right, you know? yeah, yeah. I was letting the guys have their wild thing, man. And uh, yeah, luckily because uh, nearly all of them have uh, passed away since. Oh yeah, it's a nice um, box. That box. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. Uh, you know, it was a great experience, and it was sort of oh, just to capture some of the last moments of this particular part of Jamaican culture yeah and uh, I managed to do it yeah know, and they loved it we had great fun I mean <laughs> you couldn't have funnier sessions in your life <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> a lot, a lot of know, weed what do you want a rum and milk <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in in terms of um you know being at the age you're at now and in sort of the type of songwriting you're doing because there's a couple of songs on here like like uh, on the new record like Amnesia and Nothing on Me like where I felt were sort of like you know celebrations of being still alive in a way you know <laughs> in, a, I mean? in a way I guess <laughs> everything is yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean Nothing on Me is uh, uh, basically it's about being busted <laughs> right right I mean, yeah and it wasn't until after you listened to the whole record that I realized that the cops crop up a lot in this record, you know, in uh, on Rob Bland. Yeah, know, yeah, right? oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and you made it. You made it. You're, you're not yeah. wanted anymore. You're good, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's no there's no warrants out. No, no. You're, you're set. You're solid. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about guitar players for a minute, like, because uh, all right. So you lost Brian, and then you you bring Mick in, then you toured with Mick a bit, Mick Taylor. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I guess my question, if I'm really going to focus it, just out of my own curiosity, because there was some shift where 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 you guys sort of invented modern rock and roll. There was some 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 shift, you know, probably right in the middle or right after Satanic Majesties, where the entire sound and the groove became what the you know the modern Stones are. What do you, what do you think? What happened to sort of make that happen? Was it? Do you, do you, was there a moment where you're like, this is where it's at? I mean, the difference between how you cover like. You know, love in vain, or what you did with the blues and country music on uh, on Let It Bleed and and Beggars in Exile, like it it just that that became the template for rock and roll 
from that point forward. You know, and in one, uh, in a way, I can put this in two words: Jimmy Miller, producer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how did he affect that? How did he influence um, it? What did he say? Well, uh, after Satanic Majesties, uh, we were, you know, Mick and I were like, um, we have to refocus, man. And that, I mean, that was a mad year. I mean, you know, there was Sergeant Pepper and Satanic Majesties. But, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I guess they're all on acid, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> which is true, you know. <laughs> so you did a little acid, yeah, you did the thing. Oh, they've gone to India. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you had to keep but, up with the with yeah, the Beatles. I mean, no, we yeah. had to refocus. Like, you know, and at that oh, that's time, interesting. So that was the end of you keeping up with the Beatles. You're like, we got to do our shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I huh. I, I couldn't go anywhere right. near there, and I realized that they, that the Beatles, the boys themselves, are sort of outpaced themselves in a right. way. You know, and they they were you know. Well, they lasted. What they were? They were. What were they? That was it. They did. The what are you gonna do? What are you gonna yeah. do? You know, numero uno, numero uno, yeah. numero, and uh, uh, and so they started to like you know, like anybody else, uh, to play around and uh, yeah. But that was sixty-seven. That sixty-six, sixty-seven. Yeah. Right. Those years were. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, there was LSD all over the place. Right. And uh, and so, if you made, <laughs> did you like that a, shit? I had a couple of good trips and a couple of bad ones, you know, <laughs> just like anything else, you right, know. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was not something that I'd wake up in the morning and sort of say, I must have a tab, you know. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Because then what are you going to do for the next three days? Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't say I, re I mean, I don't regret any of it, but it, it was an experiment. Right. Uh, but how I, th I think, in a way, it kind of shook uh, Mick and I up uh, because we said, boom, now we really got to tighten up. You know, this is why we got Beggar's Banquet. And, and I got to say that Jimmy Miller was the key in uh, in tightening the band up and, uh, and fo refocusing, so to speak. Well, know? it seems like you guys, like, like you said about, you know, doing, uh, you know, yeah, you want me to do it. About um, mm -hmm. <laughs> smoking that first cigarette in ten years with Keith Richards. I, I don't know why I wouldn't do that. Uh, Thanks, man. I'm a bad influence. Man. Not you, Keith. <laughs> that 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 sounds so. Not you. You're not a bad influence. Um. So, but in in terms of 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 because when you talk about it, you know, I got the blues. You know, and that laid-back thing. I mean, somebody you know relaxed the band, and and if it was Jimmy Miller, how did he do that necessarily? You know what I mean? Get you into that groove because the sound I, is pretty different yeah. from aftermath to fucking beggars. Yeah, um, it was. I think uh, after the Satanic Majesties, uh, I think we'd actually reached the end of our tether. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'd been working 350 days a year man, yeah. for like four years. You yeah, know? I mean, there was, you know, where did you go on your vacation? Vacation? Yeah, Forget about it. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. If we weren't in, the, if we weren't uh, on the road, we were in the studio. And I think, yeah, basically, even at that age, you know, we'd pretty much worn ourselves out. The year between that and and bringing uh, 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 and getting Beggar's Banquet together was. 
basically re-energizing, getting some rest, re-energizing yeah. and refocusing. And uh, as I say to me, it was Jimmy Miller that uh, like kind of put the lens right. in the in the focus. You know, and so he was a drummer. He had a great, oh, he was great sense of uh, okay. sound, and and he loved the band. You right, know I mean, uh, and he brought out the best in us. And did did Brian die in the middle of that? Somewhere around there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I, I mean, he's the kind of guy you love to hate. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he was... Brilliant but annoying, is that what you're saying? Brilliant, uh, in, in, yes. Beyond annoying. No, that, that motherfucker. Yeah. He, he would, uh, you know, we'd be in Chicago and play a gig, and uh, he'd get asthma. And he's got, I got to play three weeks in the Midwest without another guitar player. I mean, oh, because, oh, so thank he's God fragile. the girls he was were screaming loud right, enough. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm trying to cover all bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I find out that you know, he was out of the hospital the next day and they're hanging around screwing groupies and... Oh, <laughs> and, and not... Excuse me, man. We need a little more dedication. Yeah, yeah. You know? you need a guitar. You got a job. Yeah, you have a job. Yeah. You're in a band. So it, went, it, went it kind of from there. Yeah, you know. I mean that he was, uh, you know, he, was, he became a drag. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then when Mick Taylor comes in, that was a whole different kind of guitar player, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's really interesting the difference between you know like Taylor and Wood, but like Mick Taylor was like he was a big part of the sound for a couple albums, huh? He certainly was. He was a brilliant guitar player. Yeah. Um, How's he doing? This, well, the last I saw him, him, he's doing all right. He's yeah. a bit chubby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's his privilege, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, he, he plays great. Um, and we we worked together for a couple of years. Uh, but you know, Taylor, you know, I mean, to me, I'm a guitar player. But, you know... On my own, yeah. I, I, I really. I mean, it doesn't interest me. It, 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 my interest is in playing off of the other guy and like oh, right. what yeah, you can yeah, put yeah. together because two guitars can sound like an orchestra, right? If you do it right, right. And, play and, off and, each and other, and that's really what. Yeah, that's yeah. My, as Ronnie and I, excuse me, yeah, call it uh, the ancient form of weaving, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like where you don't know who's playing lead, who's playing rhythm. That that's you, what you did. Yeah. switches through you know, and, and Mick Taylor was kind of his own dude right yeah yeah, yeah. So, so I had to readjust uh, right. uh, for that and, yeah uh, yeah and and it, at that same time I just got into the five string thing so I was rearranging my sound and uh, where'd you learn that I uh, tell you what Ry Cooder was the first cat that I learned it from uh, yeah I saw playing it yeah I didn't learn it because he wouldn't teach you anything Ry, <laughs> Ry keeps he his would. secrets <laughs> and bless his heart yeah know? but uh, I'm still finding out man I mean so, is, uh, what yeah, you can yeah. do with it because it's a whole different but to me it sort of re-interested me in playing guitar because I you know it's pretty much at the end of uh, my possibilities on just straight tuning you right, know, I mean, right. Uh, I'm not going to be Charlie Christian. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You accepted and that, and I don't want to be. Right, but, right. You know, but I, when I got to the Open G thing, yeah. I started to really research it. Yeah, and, uh, how to play a minor chord with Open G. You know, is uh, 
and you get all of these uh, resonating notes yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and drone notes right. and stuff. You yeah, know, yeah. That, uh, that fascinate and still do, you know. So. Well, that's what makes, that's the genius of Keith right there. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> You're talking about the about the Beatles. I, I can't believe I'm smoking my first cigarette in 10 years with Keith Richards in an NPR studio. <laughs> huh? Huh? How what? about that? Fuck everything. We're smoking an NPR. Yeah. <laughs> When I, you know what I, you know what album I love that, that what song I love is when you play with George Jones. Oh, on the, 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 the Bradley Barn, Bradley Barn thing. I yeah. fucking listen to that all the time, man. I was, I mean, that was a real honor for me. Was you know? it? I mean, yeah, yeah. To work with George Jones, I mean, first off, the Grand Parsons and yeah. all, you know, like, Grand Parsons with George Jones is like the. And is the singer the greatest singer? No, no, yeah, amazing. What he, he's uh, he's there with uh, you know Aaron Neville is another cat yeah. that can that can use the voice as if it's you know effortless and yeah. do anything with it. In fact, <laughs> Frank Sinatra once said that he thought George Jones was the second best singer. <laughs> You're right. I, I would take exception. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. Amazing voice. Amazing voice, and a, and a great guy. Crazy as nuts in there. But uh, were you guys playing off each other in the studio at the same? Yeah, show? Man, so you we, did it live, just yeah. like that. It, you feel it too, man. So yeah. It has a beautiful yeah. song. Darling, there's yeah. talk around town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's fucking great. And you played with uh, you did a, you did a record with Jerry Lee. Yeah, and Jerry Lee is another great friend of mine. Yeah, still. Uh, yeah, he's still, he's still, he's still hanging in, huh? Man, he's amazing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you old devils got to stick together a little bit. I guess we've had our tiffs and we've had our, uh, you know, but no, Jerry and I, you know, we it's sort of a recognition of yeah. uh, similar souls, right? And, yeah, um, and you played, you were able to play with Muddy. And you play when Buddy's still around, so you play with him sometimes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, Buddy was on the show with us in uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, on Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. Did you play with Wolf? Howling Wolf, yeah. Once um, uh, on that uh, Shindig TV show. Oh, yeah, show. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think well, we didn't actually play with him. No, I, I was there. Um, and you watched? Yeah. I once woke up in his house. How'd that happen? Well, I don't know. I fell asleep at Muddy's. <laughs> I woke up in Alnimore. In Chicago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was some party or something, you know. That, they must have carried me from one on. Uh, what are we going to do with this white kid? I don't know. We're just taking with us. You know. <laughs> what the fuck? There must have been a lot of lost weeks, Keith. There must have been a few here and there. Here and there. <laughs> how do you level up? How do you how do you manage? I mean, I, you know, I don't. We don't need to get too far into it. You got pretty strung out for a few years. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, deliberately, you know, it's an experiment. Yeah. Is that how you view it? <laughs> an experiment I, for a yeah, few years. Yes. I'm the laboratory. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. When did you realize that the experiment was over? It was going on too long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, you've been threatened with, you know, seven years hard time, you know. That'll do it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I love my band more than I love the stuff. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were able to just to taper off and get into a management system? Boom. I just, just kicked it. Yeah. You know, I mean, what a relief, huh? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I got sick of dealers and junkies, you know. Because that's you end up... And that stuff, you end up, and that's you realize that the only people you're talking to are like 
are those strung out cats that's right you're in a hotel room for people you don't know who are waiting for the man and all that right and so it was yeah it was time to cut that out and uh so do yeah cut it you know what's scary about that is that if you're in a room full of five or six of those dudes or whoever that attracts if you go down if you fucking od you know what you're gonna be alone in that room oh yeah no one's gonna fucking call the cops no one's gonna right yeah man. oh shit he's down let's I've go i've seen the bodies <laughs> yeah yeah it's a scary fucking world oh my god i read a i didn't realize you you put out a new book that i i downloaded to read on the plane gus and me oh and it, yeah, yeah i read your children's book i i thought it would take a little longer it took me eight minutes but yeah. i downloaded it, it took me four minutes to read it <laughs> <laughs> and to write it yeah <laughs> But it's really a pretty book. I mean, did you ever think in your in your in your life that you would be a children's book writer? No, you think I mean the idea came up. I thought, Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> Who came up with that idea? Uh, uh, the publishers um, of um, of life yeah. of, my, of my own book. They, yeah. They, they, somebody they they'd come up with this idea about there was a chapter in there about my grandfather, uh-huh. and they said this could be a really like nice children's story and i thought if i'm gonna write anything and do anything for kids yeah i can only talk about something i love you know which is my granddad and the guitar yeah you know so it was in a way it was like taking my hats off to gus who who was great to me he threw you a line he was your lifesaver it's a pretty it's a cute little book and, and and your daughter illustrated it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was a family affair. Yeah, it was, uh, but the, she did a great job. Those are really she did, pretty. Yeah. It's a pretty little book. I couldn't believe I'm, I'm reading. A, you know, it's, I'm getting choked up reading a Keith Richards children's book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love. I love to sort of throw you the odd. You know. <laughs> yes, I'm listening to your record, and then I'm reading your children's book, and I'm like, what the fuck? All I want to do is drugs. When I'm broadening, I'm broadening my horizons. I'll say, man. Well, you've got some grandkids, right? We've got, got five. Five. Yeah. Do you love hanging out with them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's worth it's worth hanging around to be a granddad. You know. Yeah. Did you ever think you would? I mean, it's uh, it. at certain times, no. You know, but um, here I am, and there's five grandkids, and they're. And it's another thing, you know. It takes you on another level. It's one thing being a father, yeah, which is like fun enough. <laughs> you, you had a couple shots at that, yeah, yeah, two yeah. sets, yeah, two sets yeah. of that, and uh, and, uh, and out they come, you know. But they're they're the great little kids, yeah, and, uh, yeah. What do they have I a mean, name for you? Uh, just grandpa or granddad or what do they call you? Grandpa. Yeah. Him. Him. <laughs> <laughs> and you get along with all your kids? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's a yeah, it's a very close family in that respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a tribe. How how were you with your dad growing up? You know, in general. I mean, because I know you loved Gus, but we, your father. Oh, did you guys I, fight it out for a few years? Or? I don't know. I grew up with just my mum and my dad. Yeah. You know, so I grew up in a very adult area. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, I sort of wished I had a brother or a sister so I didn't have to listen to about the arguments about the rent and the the insurance (laughs) and whatever, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. But there's no way out of that. So you sort of grow up in an adult household whether you like it or not yeah and they treat you like a kid and at the same time you you know they have problems and 
but not between themselves, but just like day to day living. You know yeah. what I mean? My dad uh, worked. Uh, uh, he worked his life for uh, General Electric making tubes. Right. So of all of, things. Of all things, yeah. And right? this I'll get around to in a minute. But, um, so I leave home, seventeen, like the bird leaves the nest. Um, yeah. And within a year, my mum and my dad had split up. I think my, I was the only reason <laughs> to stay around. But um, so I, you know, but suddenly I'm making some bread. I so immediately I sort of take care of mum. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, um, whatever, for 20 years, no contact whatsoever. Really? Yeah, and in 82, I think 81, 82, I sent, him, I just sent a note and said, see if you can get this through to my dad. You know, yeah. You know, why, why haven't we seen each other for so long? So my dad comes down to my house, you know, I send him, and I'd taken Ronnie Wood with me because I wanted protection. <laughs> so meet my dad after 20 years, I was scared shitless. <laughs> really? Yeah, in a way, you know, yeah. I mean, I needed uh, some, some kind of support. Sword, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And out comes me dad, you know, 20 years old, a little old bloke, great. And we snapped to straight away. You know, I mean, we just like got on, and I had more fun with him for the next twenty years. I showed him the world. You know, I said, "Get on this plane, come on!" And then and he's got Brookshire sitting on his lap. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I gave him the 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 whole world he hadn't seen, and uh, and for the last twenty years of his life, we were like. We played dominoes oh, and yeah. endlessly, you know, with yeah. a load of other guys, you know, and and he was a, he liked his rum. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But he could drink us all under the table. Man. Oh yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. You know, <laughs> that's beautiful, man. And your mom, bless her heart, yes, always saw her. And uh, the funny thing about my mom, yeah, is that she's uh, she knows she's going. You know, and I went to the hospital, you know, the clinic. When whatever, was this? Yeah. It is 2002, uh -huh. I think. Uh -huh. uh, um, and so I brought a guitar with me, and I was sitting on the end of the bed, bed and, uh, and she said, uh, Keith, uh, this morphine's not bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're 93 at last. <laughs> now you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fucking beautiful. So the new record's great, man. And All right, like, cool. Man. Love everything you do. And it, now I guess like to, to finish up, like when you look back, not so much about regrets, but is there anything you're still pissed off about? Is there anything stuck in your craw about the way things went down? I could have I could have lived without being busted, <laughs> and, and without being like, you know, Pete cops putting things in my pocket, <laughs> stuff. Oh, like, that uh, happened, yeah. Oh yeah, got set up. It was terrible in London. Oh, oh, London. the first big bust. Yeah, no, there was a second one. Uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, what have we got here? Oh, really? But I did have the pleasure of that gentleman. His name was uh, at the time was Constable. Uh huh. And it was Constable Constable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Constable Constable. Yeah, he he got to be uh, sergeant or something. 
before he was finally mm-hmm. uh, checked. Nothing to do with me by then, but I just read in a paper that he was getting sentenced to five years. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, you don't like, even know why. Fuck him. Yeah, well, probably for the same thing. Send you people know, just corruption or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it was a bent, oh, yeah, bent yeah. station. And, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, it's uh, one of those things, you know, he, cops ain't perfect, and nor am I. And, so, so Ronnie's good. Ronnie's good. <laughs> Charlie's good. Yeah. You and Mick are good. Yeah. Everything's man. all right. Yeah. And looking forward to doing some more. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me. It was a real honor. Really fucking a real amazing. Pleasure, man. A lot of laugh. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and you fun. smoked your first cigarette and yeah, years. with Keith Richards. <laughs> Come on. Thanks, man. Pleasure, man. Okay, that was it. That was me and Keith. That was crazy. That was crazy. I got choked up. Oh, my God. Whoo! All right. All right. I'm a fun one. Remember, he said that. I'm a fun one. All right. So I, I, I hope that, was, that wasn't too embarrassing for me. Fucking me and Keith Richards, man. Come on. I got to play a Telecaster now. You can go to WTFPod.com. For all your WTF pod needs, get a little JustCoffee.co op. I get a little back on the back end there on the uh, WTF blend. They've been with us since the beginning. Um, what else? Yeah, get on the mailing list. Check the schedule. I'll be in Australia in October. <sighs> Man, you guys. You heard it. You heard it. I talked to Keith Richards. I can't fucking believe it. Now what do I do? That's it. People ask me, what are you going to do after Obama? What am I going to do after Keith Richards? Boomer lives!